Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. We're going to pick up where we left off. Paul says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Father, we ask for your help today in seeing the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. We ask for your help today in rightly assessing and rightly valuing those things in our life. We pray, Father, that, that you would help us to, to aim for your righteousness and not our own. Father, show us our brokenness and show us our incredible need for your son, Jesus. Father, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. If you remember last week, we looked at the first three verses of this chapter. And in those first three verses, Paul talks about what does it look like to be a genuine believer? What is our picture of, of, of what it means to be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ? Paul talks about that there are lots of folks who are not genuine followers of Christ. In fact, he describes three groups of people who, who he deems to be enemies of the cross. He deems them to be imposters, distorters of the gospel. And so he lays out for us what it means to be a genuine Christian. He gives us three interesting characteristics, ones that we don't often hear in other places in the Bible when it describes the marks of salvation. But the three that Paul gives us are that we worship by the Spirit of God, okay? And in that, we talked last week that what Paul means there is that the Holy Spirit is inside of you and he is stirring up in you affection for God. He is stirring up in you uh, desire for God, joy in God, that you would see the glory of Christ and you would be happy in him and, and that you would worship him. And so number one, we worship by the spirit of God. Number two, the, the second part of the picture was that we glory in Christ Jesus. We boast in, we brag in, we delight in Jesus. We are centered on Christ. And the third one was that we put no confidence in the flesh. Okay. Now that's an important one because we're going to be jumping into the rest of Paul's kind of argument in that. But the third characteristic was, is that we don't trust our flesh. We don't depend on ourselves. We don't stand before God and say, man, I'm a good person. I really got this all together. God, I hope that you go help some other folks in the community, but I'm doing just fine. Okay. That's not the mark of a genuine believer. The mark of a genuine believer is, man, I know I'm broken. I know that I, I can't do anything on my own. I am bankrupt without Jesus Christ. And I'm going to depend on and yield to and look to Christ for all that I need. Okay. So right on the heels of that characteristic, that's where Paul goes on here in verse 4 and begins to list the things that he does not put confidence in anymore. Now, 
Kind of an interesting thing about this passage is Paul uses an accounting imagery, okay? Now, I probably know less about accounting than just about anybody, okay? I I don't know anything about it. I don't pretend to know, but I I would think that I could get this right. In accounting, you've you've got one column that is gain, okay? You've got one column that is assets, income, you know, um, um, things that you own, things that, you know, equity, things like that. So you got a gain column. This is the stuff that, that brings blessing to you. This is the stuff that enables you to keep functioning as a business or as a household. This is the stuff that is good in your life, okay? And then you've got on the other side, you've got loss, okay? We don't like loss. The loss column is bad. This is the money that's going out. You got to pay bills and you, this is, you lost money on a, on a contract or a deal or, or, or the bills or, or, or things you borrowed. This is the, the loss game, okay? So you've got the gain column and you've got the loss column. And what Paul says in this passage is, is that when we become a Christian, when we, when we have this explosion of grace into our life and we're adopted into God's family and we're justified and we're filled with His Spirit, what begins to happen as we walk the Christian life, as we become more and more like Jesus, is we begin to reassess those things in our life. We begin to reassess what is gain and what is loss in our life. We begin to, we begin to rightly appraise certain things in our life. I like that word appraise. That makes sense to me. In 1 Corinthians 2, it talks about how the, um, this is not on the screen, so don't look for it. Um, this is how, uh, uh, First Corinthians talks about how a lost person does not rightly appraise the things of God, but a person with the Spirit rightly appraises all things. And I, and I like that word appraise because in my mind, I picture a guy going to a house, you know, and he looks at the property and he measures the lot and he measures the square footage and he looks at the roof and he looks at the condition of the inside. And then he writes all this down and he says, this is worth this much. Okay. That's what, that's what you do when you appraise. Well, Paul has an interesting word in this chapter. Verse 8. Notice verse 8. He says, Indeed, I count everything as lost. Now, the word I want you to focus on is count. Okay? Your Bible may say consider. Okay? may have another translation. Maybe a different word. But, but, but whatever word it has, don't think of. It's not count in the sense of one, two, three, four. No, it's not that. What it is, is it, it is to appropriate something to be real. It is to live as if something is real. It is to... Um, actually, you know what the Greek definition of it is? It's kind of strange. But the Greek definition is to lead, to govern, or rule. Which I didn't understand that at all until I, I kept reading in my Greek lexicon. And it said metaphorically to lead your mind. And all of a sudden, I was like, okay, okay. So, so what, what Paul's saying is, I count in the sense of, I choose to believe and embrace that this thing is valuable and this thing is not, okay? Be, because of appraising the value of something is a tricky thing, you know? I mean, it just depends on who you are. Uh, I was at kids camp this week, and I'm, I'm with all these fifth grade boys, and we're talking about uh, idols. We're talking about idols. And uh, I'm like, you know, what, what's an idol? Some, I wasn't teaching. Somebody else was. Well, what's an idol in your life? What do you, what do you, what do you, tend, you know, tend to worship? What do you tend to put before God? What do you tend to put, you know, a high priority, a high, high value on, you know, in your own life? And they start naming stuff. PSP or whatever. No, it's not a drug. It's like a video game. You know, um, I'm probably saying it wrong. You know, Nintendo, Xbox, Wii. Um, Dan, I need Daniel's help here. You know, there's like, there's like 20 of them, you know. But they're all the same thing. They're all video games. You know, and I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, I'm trying to identify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my mind, I'm thinking, that stuff's junk, man, to me. I mean, I, I don't give it any value at all. I mean, I put that stuff in the lost category, garage sale. I've got, I've got, I just don't have any use for it at all, okay? 
But for them, it's in their game. You know, this, this is life. This is, this is excitement. This is adventure. This is, you know, skill. This is, you know, my friends. This is what I identify with. You know, and, and so, so gain and loss are really, they're tricky things because it just depends on each person. But Paul is saying, instead of just, just evaluating your life in that way, you need to look at the scriptures. You need to look at the Holy Spirit or listen to the Holy Spirit. And you need to rightly count or rightly consider this to be gain and this to be lost. Okay, so that's what Paul is doing in this chapter. He, he's he's moving things into the from the gain category to the loss category. Now, verse five, it's kind of interesting what Paul lists here as as things that he used to consider gain. Okay, now as I read this list, you're going to think what? Okay, you're not going to identify at all. And the reason you're probably not going to identify is probably there's not very many of you who are who are Jewish Pharisees. Okay, that's the that's probably not the tradition that you came out of. All right, so this stuff's not going to ring as true in your life. But we'll try to make some application. But here's here's what Paul used to have in his gain category: circumcised on the eighth day. What does that mean? That means he had done the rituals right since he was a baby. Okay. He had, he had always been exactly where he was supposed to be, done exactly where he was supposed to do, according to the ceremonial rituals of the Jews, all right? Circumcised on the eighth day. Of the nation of Israel, this guy had the right birth. He had the right heritage. He was from the right country. He was from God's chosen people, okay? Of the tribe of Benjamin, he was from a prominent family, okay? Maybe that doesn't mean much to you, but I tell you, in Paul's day, to be from the right tribe, the right family, to have the right heritage, man, it meant a ton, okay? He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He kept all the traditions. He learned all the right things. He went to all the right schools. As the law of Pharisee, this guy had excelled in his religion. When, when Paul walked into Jerusalem, people knew who he was. You know, he, 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 taught, he learned under Gamaliel, one of the famous rabbis. He went to the right school. He had the right degrees. He, 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 he had always kept all the, the ceremonial laws more than anybody. He was strict. He was zealous for God. The Bible says here, so much so that he persecuted the church when he felt like it was in opposition to God. This guy was religious, okay? And it meant a ton to him. But what he came to see, what he came to revalue in all these things was that none of that stuff could help him. None of that stuff really gave him joy. None of that stuff really satisfied his soul. None of that stuff could make him righteous. None of that stuff gave him power over sin. None of that stuff was worth anything in comparison to what he had found in Jesus Christ. Notice verse 8. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. What Paul says is when his eyes were opened to see the glory of Jesus, all that other stuff stuff look like junk compared to Christ because Jesus has a surpassing worth. That's, that's the two words there. What does surpassing worth mean? It means that Christ, his worth is incalculable. You can't get to the end of it. It's beyond measuring. You can't imagine how valuable Jesus Christ could be in your life. Okay. We've got people in this room that have been Christians for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, probably. Okay. And you've walked with Jesus and you've experienced his grace and you've seen his goodness and he's, he's done incredible things in your life. 
But here's what the Bible says. You have no idea how good he is. Okay? You don't. You, you and I, we don't have any idea how good he is. We have no idea the power that is in Jesus Christ to impact your life. This is the way the Bible talks when it talks about Jesus. It uses words that basically say, it's awesome. You can't understand the full length of it. That's what the Bible says over and over again. I like this passage in Ephesians. If you'll just go a couple uh, pages to the left in your Bible. Paul says about God's love. He says in verse 18, that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ. He says, man, I pray that you would have strength to comprehend how much God loves you. How good that love is. How valuable that love is. And then he says, this surpasses knowledge. He comes back and says, but you can't ever really get to the end of it. Okay? You today do not know how much God loves you. You today do not know how incredible that love is. You're saying, man, I, I feel all kinds of affection for God. I feel all kinds of, of joy in Christ. I feel so loved by God. And that's all awesome, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says here is that there is more, okay? There's more. It it goes beyond what you even know. It goes beyond what you have the capacity to know. And in verse 21 of the same chapter in Ephesians, Paul says, or I'm sorry, the end of verse 20, he says, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or even think according to the power that works within us. Paul says, man, just stretch your imagination. What could God do for you? How, how much could he bless you? How many riches could he place in your lap? How good will it be to spend eternity with him? And he says, whatever your mind is grasping for, it's beyond that, okay? You, you don't have the capacity to know how good Christ is, all right? So Paul says that Jesus, that, that knowing Christ has a surpassing worth, so much so that it causes him to reevaluate everything in his life. Now, in your gain column, you probably don't have circumcised on the eighth day, okay? You probably don't walk around saying, I was circumcised on the eighth day, you know? Especially if you're a gal, okay? You probably don't walk around saying that, all right? You probably don't walk around, you know, bragging. You know, some of you brag that you're an American. I've, I've seen some of you do that, you know, hey, I'm, and you're proud of that, and that, that's okay. But what's in your gain column? For most of you, it's probably things like your, your monetary value, you know, your position, your, your influence, your family, man, something that we're, I'm really tempted to, to kind of put my hopes in is my kids and, and my wife and having a certain life and being successful in church or ministry or finances or whatever. And we have others in our gang. What would, what would be so awesome that it would cause us to say, you know what? All of that is fine, but it really is in the lost column because Jesus fills up my gang column. That, that's what Paul is saying. And you don't get that unless you see that Jesus' worth goes beyond your imagination. You know, Jesus was teaching us this in Matthew 13. Matthew 13, 44 and through 46 is a passage that we at Lincoln Avenue has kind of, a, we've adopted this as a core value in our church. And it's a parable. Here, here's the parable. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The guy is walking home from work and he's thinking about his game column. He's thinking about, man, I love my wife and man, oh, my, my, my 66 Mustang I'm restoring. I, I, I'm going to put the, put the rims on it tonight. And man, you know what? Maybe tomorrow I'm going to go play golf and use my new driver. And you know, I, man, I whipped the 
the guys at work uh, last week in golf. I bet I'll whip him again. You know, he's thinking about his game column, and all of a sudden he stubs his toe on something, and he looks down, and it's, it's a gold chest, and he begins to uncover it, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and he spends an hour uncovering it, and then he pries open that lid. He looks in, and he is blown away, slams it shut, covers it up. Why is he covered it up? He don't want anybody else to find it, you know? He covers it up, and then he's like, I gotta have this field, and he goes home, and notice what it says, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. Now, why does he go sell all that he has? This stuff's precious to him. He's got his Mustang that he's been restoring for, for five years. Why would he go sell that? Compared to the treasure. Okay, you see what I'm saying? It's all in comparison. Why would he get rid of his driver? Why would he go put a for sale sign on his house that he just fixed up? Why would he, why would he sell his jacuzzi? Why would he give away his dog? Why, why would he put a for sale sign on his kids? And then his wife would tell him, no, we can't do that. It's against the law. It's because the surpassing value of the treasure makes everything else look different. Are you, are you, are you following me? You see, when you see the surpassing value of Jesus Christ, you begin to reassess, reappraise everything in your life. Paul's been doing this, by the way, through the book of Philippians. We just didn't know that's what he was doing. Okay, in chapter 1, remember that we looked at this a couple of months ago. We looked at this passage a couple, couple of weeks in a row, I think. He said in verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, now, listen, in my book, to live is gain, right? Uh, I mean, I want to live. I want to go camping with my family, and I want to eat at Subway, and I want to have a macadamia nut cookie, and I, I want to I watch a movie with my wife, and I want to play Frisbee with my kids. I want to live. Live is gain. But man, when Paul, when Paul is overcome with the glory of Jesus and having Jesus in his life and all that Jesus can do for him and will do for him, all of a sudden to live means more of Jesus. And to die, though it's bad, though none of us would like it, to die is actually gain because it means more of Jesus. You see, his whole world has been reassessed. His whole world has been reprioritized. That's what happens to a believer. Man, everything changes. Values change around, and we begin to reassess everything in our life according to the glory of having Jesus Christ in our lives. Notice verse 8. Verse 8, there's the first word there. In my Bible, it's indeed. In your Bible, it may say something like more than that. Here's a cool thing. I don't know if you think this is interesting, but I thought it was really cool. It's actually five Greek particles that are strung together that it's impossible to translate into English. It's impossible to translate into English because it doesn't make sense in our, in our language. John MacArthur tried to translate it, and here's, here's what it would be like. But indeed, therefore, at least even. Okay? That doesn't make any sense, does it? But, 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 but the thing is, it is five particles strung together to show the strong contrast. What it's meant to show is, this is incredibly valuable compared to this. Okay? That's what it's meant to show. And some of you are like, man, Pastor, you, you, keep, you keep talking about, I'm okay with Paul's stuff in his game column, chucking it. But, I, you know, you mentioned things like family and business and, and success. And I'm not okay chucking that stuff because that stuff's good. I'm not disagreeing with you. But what I'm saying is, compared to Jesus, it goes over in the other column. 
All right? That's what Paul's saying. It's a comparison here. Compared to Jesus, the surpassing value of, listen what it says. Listen what it says. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing him. Knowing. What does that mean? Knowing Christ. Knowing him. Is that like, hi, Bonnie. My name is Jason. Bonnie says, hi, Jason. My name is Bonnie. Now I know her. Is it? Is that what it means? Is it just that? Is it, I signed up on Jesus' team, wrote my name down, going to heaven, that's it. You know what's interesting? The Old Testament uses that word know, K-N-O-W, in a very interesting way. Let me, let me read it for you. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Now some of you are a little slow and you're not sure what happened there, so we'll read another one. Verse 17. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. Some of you, you're right on the verge of getting it, so we'll do one more. Verse 25, same chapter. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called him Seth. Now, for the sake of the children in the room, we will not go into detail about what that is, but I think you can see what's happening there. There, There's an intimate relationship, okay? Okay. And so when the Bible says the surpassing value of knowing Christ, why does it use that, that, that word knowing him? And it uses it all the time. Oh, John 10 is a really cool chapter. John 10 verse 14 says, uh, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And he goes on to talk in, later in verse 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. What, what, what's he talking about? He, he's, the picture's a shepherd. And I know I'm a sheep, you know, you're, you're, you're blacky and you're whitey and you're dirty and you're horn. Yeah, I don't know. You know what? Whatever you call sheep. What do you call sheep? You know, uh, bud, Frank, I, I don't know. You know, you're, I know him. I know my name. Right. I know my name. And they hear my voice. That's what he says. They hear my voice. Dinner time. Bah, here they all come, you know, it's good. I don't, I don't know how that works, but you know, I, I mean, there's a. There's some kind of relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. And they follow him. They follow him. I don't, I don't have any experience with sheep, but I do know this. When we'd pull out in the pasture with my grandpa and my dad with, with the, the bales, here they'd all come. You know, I mean, they, they knew. They knew my dad's pickup, you know. And, and Jesus says, man, knowing me, relational knowledge, being personally familiar, interaction with God. Think about this. God lives in me as a believer. He leads me. He, he speaks to me. He convicts me. He helps me. He protects me. He guides me. He blesses me. He fills me with the Spirit. There's, that's, that's what it is to know Him. Is, is, that, is that impressive to you? That we can know God in that way? Let me ask you this. Would it be more impressive if I said, you know, I know George Bush, George W., that is. We went hunting last weekend. Dick Cheney wanted to come, but we told him, no way. I know Tim Tebow. Tebow called me up the other day. He's asking me about Matthew 18. He was going to lead a Bible study, and he was stuck. So he needed a call, and he asked me some stuff. And I know Mark Driscoll and... I know Bill O'Reilly, Bill came over for copy the other day. We talked about politics and 
I know Bill Gates, he was going to come too, but uh, he had a previous appointment. So he said he'd just bring the jet up next week and maybe we'd go to Brazil. And I know Kevin Durant, we, we ate together uh, the other night. We just had hot dogs, but he came and visited with the family. We played, played a game of pig outside on the, on the goal and uh, I won, you know. I mean, it's, it's a shorter goal than he's used to. And so um, would you be impressed if I said that? You liars. See, I am glad that you said that. I am so glad. Because here in a minute, we're going to look at the law. And you just lied. Hellbound. You, you you, you're going to hell without Jesus. Man, that's, that's great. Lying right in church. You would too be impressed. You would too. Man. Sin goes deep. You would too be impressed. Daniel would be drooling. Slobber would come out of his mouth if Kevin Durant came to my house. I mean, he'd, he'd be like a little kid, you know. Some of you Republicans, if George W. came to my, I mean, I went hunting with him. You'd be like, take me, take me, take me, you know. Okay, why? Why? Why, are we, why, why would we be so impressed? You know why? Because we would think there's certain privileges that come from knowing those people, right? We'd say there's certain benefits that come from knowing those people. Let me ask you, folks, how many more benefits are there to knowing Jesus Christ? How many more? You know, I mean, compare. I mean, man, these are just men. They're, they're just men. Men who, for whatever reason, God has shown his favor on. But they are men. They, they cannot really help you. They cannot save you. They cannot really change your life. They could change your checkbook. And they might be able to change your seats in the, in, the, in, the, in the thunder game. But they can't change your heart. They can't change your mind. They can't protect you. They can't keep you. They, they, they can't do anything with your eternity. How much more valuable to be able to say, I know Jesus. Do you see that? If we said, I know those other people, we'd be impressed. Why, why aren't we shocked? Why didn't it blow our socks off? When, when people say, I know, Je- I know Jesus. He lives in me. He helps me. He talks to me. He said he'd never leave me. He's going to stay with me. He's got a plan for my life. That's incredible. Paul says, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And so he says, compared to that, everything is... Well, look at what he says. Verse 8. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. All right, I'm just going to tell you. You look up rubbish in the Greek lexicon. First definition is dung. Excrement. For those of you who are still children, poop, uh, that's what it is. It could be refuse, like garbage. But that, that's, I mean, our, our translators are generous in putting rubbish there just because I think they're just being nice. Paul says, that's what my stuff is compared to knowing Jesus. Look at what he says in verse 9. That I might be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. 
but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God. What, what is this righteousness, Paul? He says, I don't want my own righteousness. He says, man, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord brings me a righteousness that is not my own. It comes from God. Now, here's what you have to understand. Righteousness, the way we usually define it, is a right standing with God. But it has two elements in the Bible. And you'll see this very clearly if we take the time to read Romans 3, 20 through 26. Two elements. One is, is, is obeying the law. Okay, So being right with the law. The other is punishing the law when it is broken. Okay, And we see both of those elements in Romans very clearly. That those are both elements of righteousness. So if you have a righteous society, you have a society who obeys the law. And when it's broken, it's punished. Okay, That's, a, that's righteousness. All right. Now, we're under God's law. We are under God's law. When you open up the pages of the scripture and you see God's standard, listen, it, I don't care if you don't like it. It doesn't matter if you, you, you think well, that's wrong. It doesn't matter what you think, okay? You live in God's world, all right? You're, you're breathing in God's air. You, you, you are standing on God's ground. You're sustained. Your heart is beating because Jesus said beat. Okay, and, and, and when you stop breathing his air and you start making your own heartbeat and you start living in your own world, then you're not under God's law. But until then, you're under his law. And when you break his law, you are a law breaker. You're a transgressor. And we have all broken his laws. You're saying, well, what laws are you talking about? Well, I don't care. Pick, 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 pick the 10. Okay, how about the 10 commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not have any other God but, but, but God. You should not put anything above God in your heart, your affections, your will, your desires. Have you obeyed that? No, not even close. You should not make a graven image. Don't make for yourself. Make, don't make God out to be who you want him to be. I see people doing this all the time. Well, my God does this and my God doesn't care about this. And I don't think, you know, it's like you, you, God's not your puppet. Don't take his name in vain. Don't, don't take his name in a careless way. I tell you, I'm at kids camp and we got like 200 kids. And I hear, I hear his name taken in vain by kids. Why would that be? Why would, would kids, why would people in the Oilville, why would people all over our town choose to use the name of Jesus when they're angry or upset or they stub their toe? Why would they do that? Why would they not use my name? I, I'm, a, I'm a mess up. I'm a, I'm broken. Why wouldn't they use my name? Why would they use Jesus' name? Because that's how broken we are. That's how sinful we are. Honor the Sabbath day. Man, time is God's. Every day is God's. Have you, have you honored him with your time? Honor your father and mother. If you have a question about that, call mom and dad up this afternoon and just ask them, all right? Don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't covet. In summary... What does it mean to keep God's laws? It means you love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And how many have kept that? None. Some people think they have. Why do they think they have? Well, how does God expect us to keep those? Let me, let me ask you this. Does he expect a fine line right at the end that you cross? Is that, is that what we mean? So in other words, um, I could probably get by with uh, uh, running by the Biffles house and uh, opening up the garage and taking out Dave's Harley and just riding it, maybe take it on a long road trip, couple weeks, three weeks, maybe till it needs service, and then go ahead and bring it back and say, here you go, Dave, I didn't steal it, I brought it back. It's yours, buddy. You know, is, is that what we mean by don't steal? If as long as I bring it back at some time in the future, have I not, sto- have I not stole? That's not what we mean. We know that. How about that's not commit adultery? Do, is it okay to go ahead and kiss? 
kiss and caress and flirt with someone else's spouse as long as there's not a sexual relationship? Obviously not. Nobody would even think that. We know it's not the letter of the law. Well, thou shalt not kill. Am I okay if I shoot somebody in both legs, break both arms, and gouge out both their eyes, and knock them out, and they're laying there bleeding? Am I okay to say, God, I'm right with you. I didn't kill them. They're still alive. I mean, is that okay? Is that what we mean? Nobody means that. We all know that is not right. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 21, You've heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not murder. But whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. But I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus says it's, it's not the end. Murder. You've already broken the commandment when you're angry without a cause. When, when you stoke your anger. When you feel your anger. When you lash out with your words. When, when you lash out with with. with, with gossip or slander you've already broken the commandment adultery jesus said in verse 27 of the same chapter matthew 5 you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery but i say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in her heart folks god has a standard and you've broken that standard and so how are we ever going to be righteous how are we ever going to be able to stand before god without his wrath pouring down on us Well, there's two opinions. You're like, only two? Yeah, really, there's only two, okay? One, and this one encompasses every other religion. Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Americanism, Oklahomaism. I mean, whatever, okay? Everything else is lumped in this category. And here's how this goes. I'm going to keep my own version of the commandments. And I'm going to make some commandments that I can keep, okay? Those are... That's what everybody else does. I'm going to keep my own version. So in other words, I make my own standard. I get angry at people. I slander them. I get mad, but I feel justified because they deserved it. And I'm still right with God because I didn't kill them, you know. Or if I did kill them, they deserved it, okay. And we make our own version. We make our own version. And then you know what we do? We make other laws, other commands that we can keep. The Pharisees, Paul, before his conversion, was an expert at this. They they took the ceremonial law of the Old Testament and they were like, this is our righteousness. Because you know what? You can keep that stuff. It's hard and you've got to be disciplined as all get out, but you can do it if you're like Paul. Remember, remember some of the things the, the Pharisees got all worked up about? Washing hands. Remember that? Washing hands. That was a big deal. Remember when the, the uh, Pharisees came to the, the, and the scribes came to the disciples, came to Jesus, and they're like, your, your disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate. They're not righteous. Hey, you know what? You can keep that one. You, I mean, you can physically do it. My daughter, I would say, has probably done that. Hannah has probably washed her hands before she's eaten for every meal in her entire 20 years. She's probably done it. I mean, she probably has, really. She... She's, she yells at the little kids if they don't wash their hands. She carries Germex in her pocket. We can be up on a mountain and we'll get out our ham sandwiches. She's going to sanitize everything before she eats. She can do it. Has she ever not been angry with someone when she shouldn't have? No, she boned that one. But you can keep the ceremonial law. How about not eat certain things? You could do it. You know, might be kind of hard if you liked them. Or, yeah, I guess you wouldn't know, would you? If you'd never eaten them. I've never ate liver. Never once. You know what? I can pull it off to the end. I can do it. 
I can do it. I've seen it, smelled it. I can do it. I cannot eat it all the way. Cradle to the grave. Lord, no liver. I'm righteous. I can do it. I haven't, I haven't been completely truthful, though. I couldn't do that. I've exaggerated. I've left out certain points of truth to my own benefit. I've just outright lied before. I'm, I'm a commandment breaker. So what are you going to come to God with? Are you going to come to God with that? Now, here's where Paul's, his image is so good. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, if I'm coming to God for my righteousness, and, I, and what, I'm, what I've got to offer him is I kept the commands in my own way, and I made up a bunch of other ones, or ceremonies, or rituals. And, and you know what he's saying? What, was he, remember what he called that? Rubbish, right? So here, here's the image, okay? Pardon me, but this is, this is, this is Bible. Okay, the image is this. You've broken God's commands. You're going to stand before God. What are you going to bring him? It's like going to the cat box, scooping up, and saying, God, I know I've broken your commands, and I know I've sinned against you, but God, I offer you this in return. It's not going to work. What's the other way? Look at what Paul says. And I might be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Paul says, I don't, I don't want that. It's, it's, it's false. I can't do it. It's broken. It's, it's prideful. But what does he say? But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, from God, that depends on faith. What's my only hope? To stand before God. My only hope is that Jesus Christ lived a righteous life. He lived a life in which he never lied. In which he never stole. In which he never committed adultery. In which he never lusted. And he never misused his anger. And, and he never put in something before God. And he, and he never made a graven image. And he never took the name of God in vain. And, and he always honored his parents. And he kept the law completely. And then he died. A sacrificial death. On my behalf. And now the Bible says, I can be connected to him. How? By faith. Look at that in verse 9. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, I can be connected to Jesus by faith so that his righteousness flows into my account. So someday I stand before God with Christ. And God says, I am pleased with that. I am pleased with Jesus' life. By the way, so what does that kind of faith look like? We, we always talk about faith probably every Sunday. Okay, but let's talk about one more time. But just in the context of what we just looked at. What, what, what does that faith look like? Here, man, I think there's a great definition here of faith. Okay, Faith is believing and embracing and counting. Remember, not one, two, three, but remember what we were talking about? When you count, you're, you're valuing something. You're, you're saying, I believe this is, is the value of this, the reality of this. Faith is embracing, counting that Jesus is of surpassing value. That, does that make sense? That's what faith is. Faith is saying, man, Jesus is in my gain category. He is gain. He is of surpassing value. He is worth everything. He is worth more than anything. 
He is the one that will help me. He is the one that will save me. He is the one that will satisfy me. He is the one that will make my life worthwhile. It's Jesus. That's faith. Faith is embracing that about Christ. What are you going to offer God? What do you got for him? You got your own, own stuff? Or are you going to be joined to Jesus? That is the eternal question in your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his perfect life. I thank you, God, for his sacrificial death. And Lord, we have nothing to offer you of our own. Lord, we put no confidence in our flesh. But Lord, we believe and embrace today that Jesus Christ has surpassing value. He is of surpassing worth. He is everything that we need. He is more than we can imagine. He is better then we can even get our heads around. And so, Lord, we want to be connected to Christ. Lord, we put our faith in you, Jesus, for everything. We ask it in Christ's name.